tab. Uh, you'll find all my sermon notes there. Uh, but for those of you who have your Bibles, if you would go with me to Matthew, the 27th chapter. And while you're turning there, let me just once again greet all of you who are here for the first time. Thank you for being here today. Uh, it is Easter Sunday, and we always uh, love preaching on Easter Sunday and ministering on Easter Sunday. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Matthew chapter number 27, and I'm going to read clear through Matthew chapter 28, verse number 10. Uh, if you'll remember in the original translations, there were no chapter breaks. Those chapter breaks are put there for us. And uh, so this is one continuing story. And so I want to begin it in verse number 57 of Matthew 27. When it was evening... A rich man from Arimathea named Joseph came, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. He approached Pilate and asked for Jesus' body, and then Pilate ordered that it be released. So Joseph took the body, wrapped it in clean, fine linen, and placed it in his new tomb, which he had cut into the rock. He left after rolling a great stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were seated there facing the tomb. The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days I will rise again. Therefore, give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people he has been raised from the dead. Then the last deception will be worse than the first. You have a guard of soldiers, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. And then they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting the guard. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to view the tomb. And suddenly there was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his robe was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken from fear of him that they became like dead men. But the angel told the women, don't be afraid because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has been resurrected just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead. In fact, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Listen, I have told you. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. And just then, Jesus met them and said, good morning. They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus told them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. Would you bow with me, please? Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for your word. Even more thankful, Lord, that death could not hold you. That you came out of that tomb on the third day, arised arisen from the dead, and alive forevermore. And Lord, because you live, we have the promise of living also forever with you. 
And dear Jesus, this morning I know that there are people that are normally here that cannot be here because of illness today. Lord, I pray for Rhonda Hale this morning that you would uh, touch her body as she deals with pneumonia. Lord, I know that there are people in our congregation who have felt the pain of death in the past weeks. And I pray especially for your touch and your comfort to be upon them. And most of all, Lord, give them hope that they will see their loved ones again. But Lord, for this message this morning, I just pray that you would anoint my words to match your already anointed word. And that as your word goes forth, it will find a place in hearts that have been made fertile by your Holy Spirit to receive that word today. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you are familiar with or even aware of it or not, but there is a company in California called Calico. Any of you ever heard of a company called Calico? Um, Calico stands for the California Life Company. And contrary to what that might sound like, it's not a life insurance company. It's a life company. And the purpose of the entire company is that it is generating excitement among geneticists and biotech experts because they believe that they have solved the problem of death. Or at least they believe they're working towards solving the problem of death. Now what I'm getting ready to share with you may sound impressive as if I myself understand some of the terms that I'm getting ready to use. But just so you know, I have no clue what some of these words mean either. But as I researched Calico on Google, I discovered that their plan is to, and I quote, focus on biologics that promote tissue regeneration, extend the upper limit of human lifespan, and help seniors feel healthier. Now, I like that last part. So in terms I can understand, their goal originally was to prevent aging. How many of you like that idea? Well, just hang on. The genius of Calico is that extending life is about as high as it gets on the human scale of desires. And as they pursued this groundbreaking pursuit of preventing the aging process, they pulled together what they called four heavy hitters from high-ranking research positions. Hal Barron, Chief Medical Officer at Roche Genetic and Gnome Research. Dr. Robert Cohen, a senior oncologist from Genentech. Dr. Cynthia Kenyon, a molecular biologist who discovered a genetic mutation that can double the lifespan of a roundworm. And, and David Botstein, director of the Lewis Sig Sigler Institute for Interactive Genomics at Princeton University. Wow. Now, one of those scientists, Dr. Kenyon, gives us a peek into what they're up to in her paper on anti-aging, in which she tells of how she has discovered that we just don't wear out like cars or an old pair of shoes. She says, in fact, aging is subject to control by our genes. I don't mean the ones we wear. I mean the ones that make us up. And we are 
our aging is subject controlled specifically by our hormones. Aren't you glad to hear all that? People, even perhaps some of us who have listened to what I've shared, are wanting to know, and this is the reason why they established the company, can Google's Calico solve the problem with death? You've heard the term Grim Reaper, right? Uh, the Grim Reaper is, is, a, is a cultural thing that, that we use in cartoons. Uh, comic strip and, and cartoon humor often portray the Grim Reaper as this dark being that's, that's lurking around ready to snatch someone from life into death. So you're familiar with that term. Believe it or not, now, I don't, I don't major in useless information. I'm just giving you some, some things for you to think about. But as I was researching Calico, I also Googled the term Grim Reaper. And I found out entirely too much information. Studies have concluded that the Grim Reaper walks at a pace of two miles per hour. If you don't believe that, Google how fast does the Grim Reaper travel and it will pull that up for you. Now, the whole point of the study is that if you would travel at three miles an hour, you can outrun the Grim Reaper. Therefore, not having to worry about death. So maybe the key to dodging death is to just simply walk faster than the Grim Reaper. Useless information. Now, in the meantime, probably every one of us here understand that life is good, but it's also fleeting. What I have come to believe, and maybe Calico will change things, but probably not in my lifetime. What I have come to believe is that unless Jesus comes in the clouds of glory and takes us home to be with him, while still alive, every one of us here are going to die. Isn't that just the greatest news you've ever heard on Sunday morning? Death is inevitable. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 27, that it is appointed for people to die once, and then after this, the judgment. Therefore, this thing called death ominously looms before us unless Jesus hastens his return and comes before the grim reaper catches up to us. Few of us are anxious to get on that slow train of coming, as Bob Dylan used to sing. But our text this morning tells us that Jesus died, was now buried, and that's where I want to begin my message to you today. He's dead. He's been crucified on the cross. And we read that a man named Joseph from Arimathea has asked for permission to take Jesus' body down from the cross and bury it in a tomb that he, Joseph, had prepared for himself. But now he's going to let Jesus' body occupy his tomb. So Jesus is dead. He's in the tomb. And early on Sunday morning, 
As the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go out to visit Jesus' tomb. And what they expected to find inside that tomb was the body of Jesus. They were familiar with death. In fact, they were probably all too familiar with death because history would tell us that the average lifespan in the day of Jesus' life was between 45 and 47 years. Now, that seems almost hard to believe, but that shows how far we have come. 45 and 47 years was the average life expectancy. So that tells me that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were probably very familiar with putting people in a grave, sealing a tomb. So when Jesus died, they fully expected to find Jesus' body wrapped in a linen cloth, lying on a stone slab inside that tomb. I have uh, shared with you some of you over the past couple of years, how um, for a, a lot of intents and purposes, I basically grew up in a funeral home. Uh, my grandparents uh, sang for funerals. Uh, it was, they were known all over southwest Kansas for singing for funerals. And uh, so it was not uncommon for me, because my mom accompanied them on the organ for every funeral that they sang for. And I remember them when I was just a little guy. They quit counting the number of funerals that they had sang for. They quit counting at 667 funerals. So it was not uncommon for me to spend a couple of days a week in a funeral home with grieving people who I knew nothing about. Then starting at the age of 23, I officiated my first funeral and have done countless funerals over the past nearly 40 years now but being uh, the reason i'm telling you that is being around mortuaries and in particular funeral directors and morticians often on the drive from the funeral service to the cemetery i hear horror stories of things that have happened in their experiences with funerals and the one that sticks in my mind as i was preparing this message took place In Seattle, Washington, a few years ago, two men had died. One was to be cremated for memorial service, and the other was prepared for an open casket funeral. However, at the family viewing, the man in the casket was not the man who was supposed to be in the casket, but rather the one who was supposed to be cremated. The man in the casket was wearing the clothes of the man who was supposed to be in the casket. He also had on his hand the wedding ring of the man who was supposed to be in the casket. And he had a picture of the wife of the man who was supposed to be in the casket, gripping it tightly with his hands as they rested on his chest, but he was the wrong man. Now, when that family went to the funeral home, they expected to find their loved one in the casket. But instead, they found the body of someone they didn't even know. Wouldn't that be horrible? So when Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb on that Sunday morning, they expected to find Jesus. But that's when a rather ordinary part of life for them 
was disrupted by the extraordinary. Suddenly we are told that there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, frightening the guards that were guarding the tomb. And they shook with fear, the guards did, when they saw the angel. And they fell into a dead faint. The Bible says they became like dead men. Using that same expression, we would probably say they fainted dead away. Uh, they were frightened. Their blood pressure evidently dropped. Their hearts could not pump enough blood to their, heart, to their brain. So they fainted and appeared to be as dead. The angel, knowing what had happened, warned the women, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Because I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. But he is not here. So the question, where is Jesus, for those women now became, where is Jesus now? Where is he now? You see, friends, death is a problem. Jesus' death had taken him away from his followers. And as final as that may have seemed to those followers, now that he's dead and buried, where have they taken his body now? But before the two women could even ask that question, where is Jesus now? The angel added, he is not here. For he has been resurrected just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Now that's the way the scripture reads. My guess is that the conversation may have sounded a little bit more like this. The women ask, where is Jesus? The angel answered, he's not here. The women ask, why not? The angel says, because he's risen from the dead. To which the women respond, then where is he now? If he isn't here, where is Jesus? A couple of years ago, and some of you may be familiar with this, a couple of years ago, Brenda and I started watching a new fantasy TV show, a drama on ABC that was called Resurrection. Any of you remember the TV show Resurrection? Well, more than anything else, because of its name, Brenda and I decided we wanted to watch it and to see what it was all about out of curiosity. Well, the storyline was set in Arcadia, Mississippi, Wallace. I don't know whether you know where that's at, but most of you Mississippians are all from the same place. So I... The story was set in Arcadia, Mississippi, and something very strange was happening. In the first episode, an eight-year-old boy wakes up in a rice paddy in China. Um, <laughs> the foliage where he wakes up in that rice paddy looks as if he has been doing snow angels in the foliage, and... Uh, he wakes up and he remembers that he's from Arcadia, Mississippi. So the people in China that find him contact an immigration agent who goes to China, gets the eight-year-old boy, returns him to Arcadia, Mississippi, where he points out to them his home where he grew up. Now, the Chinese who found him, they knew his name because... 
marked on the collar of his shirt was his name, Jacob. So they took Jacob, the immigration agent took Jacob back to his home in Arcadia. And upon ringing the doorbell, Jacob's father, Henry, answers the door and discovers Jacob, just as he was 32 years ago, when as an eight-year-old boy he had drowned in the river. I'm guessing he was probably shocked. In fact, you can imagine the shock and the uproar that this caused not only with his parents, but with the entire community of Arcadia, Mississippi. And it was around that storyline that this entire show was written. Now, we kind of lost interest in it after the first couple of shows. So I have no idea how it ended. But of course, I said that that show was a fantasy. But most of us who have had to deal with death, whether a friend or a loved one, we've often wondered at one time or another about those loved ones when they die. Where are they now? For those of us who believe in life after death, we wonder, what do they look like now? What's it like where they are? Will we ever see them again? Now, most of my immediate family is is buried in Valley View Cemetery in Garden City. And often when we go to Garden City, I go to the cemetery to visit the graves of my parents and grandparents. And whether or not you think this is silly, what I'm getting ready to say, sometimes while I'm there, I will have a conversation with the tombstones that are marking their graves. Now, I say that because I'm not having a conversation with them Because they're not there. The remains of their earthly bodies may be in a vault that's six feet below the surface of the ground. But I know that the very best part of my parents and my grandparents are already in heaven with Jesus. But somehow, for me, having that occasional conversation with their tombstone often brings me peace. It gives me sometimes direction. Sometimes it even calms storms that I may be going through at that particular time. But the last time this happened, I was standing at my parents' gravestone and I read on the back of the stone, William S. Engler, March, 9, or March 8, 1918 to November 11, 2011. And then I look to the other side and it says Margaret Engler, May 9, 1922, December 7, 2016. And then I read Sons. William L. Engler, Terrence D. Engler, and daughter Charlotte J. Zemer. And it's at that point that I'm reminded that my brother, my sister, and myself We're all still living, but mom and dad are gone. I know that sounds very basic. But where are they now? I'm certain that their earthly remains are in that marked grave because that's where we laid them to rest, so to speak. I'm certain that their earthly remains are secure 
in those graves. But then this overriding thought comes to my mind. And it's this. Why am I talking to them as if they are here? They're in heaven with Jesus. They now have glorified bodies. They're celebrating and partying with grandpa and grandma. And many other loved ones who've gone before and they're just waiting for me to get there so that we can have a real conversation. Much the same way, the question in the minds of these women upon hearing the words from the angel had to have been, where is he now? Verse 8 tells us that they, they left the place of the tomb and Jesus met them and he greeted them. And Jesus says to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and they will see me there. Now what I'm going to read into that as an application for us this morning is to what really Jesus was saying not only to them but to every one of us here this morning who have a future death problem unless Jesus returns in the clouds of glory is that he's gone on ahead of us and that he will meet us there. Not in Galilee, but in heaven with him. And what that empty tomb means to us this morning is this. Neither we nor our loved ones who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior are ever going to be trapped by earthly graves. Now, it's okay to like the idea of being more healthy. It's okay to want to live longer. But I can assure you today that the problem of aging, whether, it's the, whether accidental or natural death, is not going to be solved by some company in California and their scientific research. We are eternal beings with a fleshly body that will decay and die. But the best part of us, our soul, lives forever. And if you know Jesus as your Savior... You will live forever in heaven with him. So Calico Company, you will not solve the death problem. The thought problem of death has already been solved by an empty tomb and a resurrected Jesus that came out of that tomb. The empty tomb is what gives you and I who believe in Jesus a real and a lasting future. I believe God's word to be true. It tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, though we are confident and we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yet we are confident and satisfied to be out of or absent from the body and be at home with the Lord. So the spirit of the follower of Jesus lives on beyond the grave, leaving the earthly body at the time of death to enter into the presence of God. 
And I haven't made a firm decision on how it's going to look for me, but when I die, some of you may think that you have me all bottled up in a beautiful brass urn or sealed in the finest solid bronze casket that's made, but I can tell you right now you're going to be mistaken. Again, the Scriptures teach, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse number 14, that when Jesus comes again, He's going to bring with Him in the clouds of glory the living souls of those who have died in Christ. He says, Therefore the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the archangel's voice, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. They will... They will experience a bodily resurrection from their graves. And then he goes on to say, then we who are still alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so will we always be with the Lord. The date was Sunday, June the 18th, 1815. The nation of England was at war with France and France's great leader, Napoleon Bonaparte. It's what we know today as the Battle of Waterloo. The battle took place in what is present-day Belgium, which at that time was part of the United Kingdom of the Netherlands. The Duke of Wellington was leading the British army and Napoleon, of course, leading the French army. And Gebhardt von Blücher was leading a Prussian army that had come to join with the British forces in combat with Napoleon's army. Meanwhile, the people at home back in the native country of England were anxiously awaiting news of the outcome of the Battle of Waterloo. A signalman had been placed on top of Winchester Cathedral in New Hampshire, England to keep a watch on the sea. And when he received a message from a ship telling him the outcome of the battle, which he in turn was to relay back to the people in England, in that way they could find out the results. And at last this signalman saw a ship through what was very dense fog on the English Channel. The signalman on board the ship sent the first word, Wellington. And then he sent the next word, defeated. And with that, the fog closed in so thick that the ship nor its signalman could no longer be seen or the signal that he was relaying. So the message that they had received, Wellington defeated, was the tragic news that was sent across the entire nation of England and deep gloom hung over the entire nation. But a few hours later, the fog lifted and the signal was repeated again, this time it's in, in its entirety. Wellington defeated the enemy. Wellington defeated the enemy. The full message raced across Britain again. And the nation's gloom was overcome by joy. When Jesus died that cruel death on the cross of the place, on the place of the skull, Golgotha, his mother, his family, his friends, his followers, 
felt a deep cloud of gloom. For all intents and purposes, it seemed as if evil and death had won and all of their hopes had died with him. But when the sun broke through at dawn on the first day of the week, the fog lifted, if there was any, on that first Easter morning. The full message came through. Jesus is not here. He has risen from the dead and has gone before you to Galilee and you will see him there. And they did find him in Galilee. And we who believe in that saving work of Calvary, when we die, we will find that he has gone before us too. Not to Galilee, but to heaven where he's waiting for each and every one of us. Now, how do I know that? This is part 13 of our sermon series, Growing in Grace. Here's how I know that. Because Jesus gave me mercy. He withheld from me punishment that I myself deserved. And rather took it upon himself to die for my sins so that he could provide for me grace. Giving me that which I did not deserve as a free gift. And if I would just be accepting of the grace that he offered to me. My sins could be forgiven. The death that was the penalty for my sins. Could no longer hold me in its grip. And because he lives. I too. Will live forevermore. The sky shall unfold, preparing his entrance. The stars shall applaud him in thunders of praise shall enhance those awaiting and we shall be then
see him face to face and he's going to know me because we've already gotten acquainted death couldn't hold him Paul said in 1 Corinthians Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for since death they came through a man Adam the resurrection of the, uh, from the dead also comes through a man, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all 
will be made alive. Friends, the key verse to making that all apply to you today is that you must first accept the saving work done by Jesus on your behalf on that cross of Calvary. It was there that He died for your sins. And not just died for your spiritual sickness, He also died for the healing of your diseases. But thank God He didn't stay in that tomb. He rose on the third day. He's alive forevermore. And He's waiting for His children, you and I, to join Him in heaven. And it's really very simple, friends. I shared this verse last week. I share it again today. That all you have to do, according to Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, is confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And Paul says, you will be saved. So simple. So easy. And I'm praying that someone here this morning might be interested in such a great opportunity. I'd like for every one of us in this room to stand to our feet. The gospel writers told us there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved other than the name of Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. I understand in the world that we live in today, there are people who believe that there are many ways to God. And I don't care how sincerely you might want to believe that. The Bible says no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus is the only one that left behind an empty tomb. His remains are no longer there. No one stole it. The death wasn't a fake. He's alive. How do I know that? Because He's changed me. He's changed me from the inside out. He's made me new. I'm not who I used to be. And thank God, I'm not what I'm going to be. There's going to be a day when this old flesh is going to become immortal and I'm going to live with Jesus forever. If that's of interest to you, I'd love to meet you at this altar this morning so you can call upon that name, the beautiful name of Jesus. Jacob, would you lead us, please? You were the word at the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high. hidden glory in creation now revealed in you are Christ 
unless you become like a little child. You cannot come to me. Bella, I'm so proud of you this morning. So proud of you. And as Jacob gets ready to sing that last verse, I just had to tell you that because unless you become like a little child, with the faith of a little child, I asked Bella, I said, do you believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead? said yes I do and she said Jesus forgive me of my sins and come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior and I'm telling you right now Bella's name is written in the Lamb's book of life and she has guaranteed her eternal future there are any more come to these altars as Jacob leads death could not hold you the veil torn before you You silenced the pulse of sin and grave The heavens are roaring The praise of your glory For you are raised to life again You have no rival you have no equal now and forever God you reign yours is the kingdom yours is the glory yours is the name above all names what a powerful name it is what a powerful name it is the 
name of Jesus Christ my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. Friends, that's why we pray in the name of Jesus. There's power in that name. There's healing in that name. There's forgiveness in that name. And there is eternal security in that name of Jesus. I pray this morning that your Easter Sunday First of all, it's not about April Fool's Day. But I pray that it's not about Easter bunnies and Easter eggs. It's about an empty tomb. And I pray for you that that empty tomb represents your hope and your future. just a moment we're going to change the order of things and Jacob you might want to go ahead and lead us in some more worship but at least for those that want to stay in here but in just a moment our kiddos 11 and under how many of you here are 11 and under okay here's what I want you to do Brenda's trying to tell me something I don't know whether she's praising Jesus back there or whether she's trying to get my attention. Huh? All the kids, go back there with that pretty lady in the pink back there in the back. We're going to have an Easter egg hunt. And if you weren't here earlier, there are cash prizes in those eggs. So mom and dad, stay here. You don't get to find any of those cash prizes. Okay? kids are going to have fun. If you want to go watch them, look for the eggs, feel free to do that. Uh, please, please parents help us with this. Do not take the eggs home. They are empty. But we have candy for everyone as you walk out the door after the Easter egg hunt. Okay? Do I need to go through that again? Do not take the eggs home with you. If you find the eggs with cash in them, come tell me about it. We want to let everybody know who got the prizes. But leave the eggs here and then we'll hand out candy to you. Thank you for being here this morning. May God bless you.